In this episode of the Live Your Purpose as a Christian Entrepreneur Bible Study, we are diving into Romans chapter 8, my favorite. I'm Stephanie Rodnes, and welcome to the Live Your Purpose as a Christian Entrepreneur Bible Study. My goal is to encourage the discouraged with scripture, inspiration, and resources to help you do exactly what God purposed you to do on this earth, become a Christian entrepreneur. The definition of a Godlywood girl is a woman of Christ who says yes to her God-given purpose, no matter what everyone else tries to say or do. So if you are stepping into your purpose as a Christian entrepreneur, welcome to the Godlywood Girl Sisterhood. You are my people, and I can't wait to meet you. Now let's dive into today's episode. And remember, if you want to join me for these live recordings on Godlywood Girl's Instagram feed, join me at Godlywood Girl on Instagram now. Let's dive right in. So let's get started with the word of prayer. Father God in heaven, thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to read your word today, Lord. You are so good. I'm so excited. I love Romans 8, Lord Jesus. And I pray you just help us be able to see what you want us to see and hear what you want us to hear. I love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So today we are diving into Romans chapter 8. Woo! I told you girls on yesterday's episode, I love Romans 8, literally changed my life. And so remember where we ended. So the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote this book about 20 years after he um, became a believer in Christ. So he is a seasoned, grown man Christian. He's not a baby Christian, just trying to figure things out. He has planted multiple churches at this time. He's been sharing the gospel of Christ to thousands by this time. He has been developing his relationship with Christ. So he is writing the book of Romans from a place of maturity and seasoned growth. So there's a lot that we can learn from him. And when he says something, he's talking from 20 to 30 years experience of serving Christ. So he knows what he's really talking about. So in Romans chapter 7, we ended Romans chapter 7 with Paul explaining how there's this duality in all of us where the good that we want to do, we don't do. And the sin we don't want to do, we end up doing. And he, as an experienced Christian of 20 to 30 years, deals with the same thing. So that really tells us that for those of us who still end up sitting and doing things wrong, don't beat ourselves up. It's just the humanity within us. It's the human nature within us. Paul goes on to say, though, that that doesn't mean we have freedom to just do whatever we want just because we understand we're fallible. He says that because we are in love with Christ... When we commit our lives to him, we're going to start being transformed slowly over time. The Holy Spirit is going to work on us and transform us according to his timing. And um, at the end of of chapter 7, Paul leaves us with a lot of hope. He's like, listen... Thank God for Jesus that he came and died on the cross for us and helped us not have to live according to the law anymore and do everything perfectly, but be saved and given freedom through the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. So that's what we're starting with here in Romans chapter 8. This solution that Jesus gave us by sacrificing his life on the cross gives us true freedom. So let's dive into Romans chapter 8, the message translation. So it begins with Paul saying, With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. So just in the first two verses, Paul is explaining to us that we don't have to be so hard on ourselves. Oh my gosh. I did something wrong. I'm a horrible person. And this is why Romans 8 meant so much to me when I first accepted Christ. When I was um, a kid growing up and understanding about my relationship with Christ, every single time I would sin, 
I thought I lost my salvation. It was through studying the book of Romans that I realized my salvation doesn't go anywhere. Just because I sin doesn't mean I lost my salvation in Christ. Every time I sin, I'm proving the reason why Jesus came here and why he did what he did. Human nature will not allow us to live a sin-free life. It just won't. And so we can't require ourselves to have this perfect life. It's impossible. And every time we require that of ourselves, we're actually throwing it back in God's face, what he did for us. We have to be, give ourselves some mercy, give ourselves some grace. When we do something wrong, forgive ourselves. Don't create a habit of it, no. And Paul will talk about, about that a lot more in, in uh, further chapters. We don't need to create a habit of living in sin. But if we do mess up, if we do make a mistake, forgive ourselves. It is the human nature within us that does it. Thank God for Jesus Christ who came and, and relieved us from this low-lying black cloud as he describes it here. Verse 3, God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem of something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing within us. And for my sisters here who are having, a tr who are having trouble with their past, with mistakes that they've done, with forgiving themselves, this is for you. What Paul is saying is that we couldn't deliver ourselves from the sin. We can't deliver ourselves from our own mistakes. But if we embrace what the Holy Spirit is doing with us, that is where we find freedom. Stop being so hard on yourself. It is the enemy's job to steal, kill, and destroy the fullness of life God has for you. That's what John 10.10 says. And he cannot physically do anything to you without God's permission. So what he does is he works on your mind. He works on making you a prisoner of your own mind, a prisoner of your own past mistakes, of your own sins, of any self-doubts that you have about your ability to turn it around. That's what the enemy is literally doing in you, working on you every single moment of every single day. So we have to look at what Paul is telling us to do. Stop doubling down on your own efforts. Stop trying to fix yourself. <laughs> you need to instead, what he says, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in you. Allow the Holy Spirit to move in you at his time, at his pace. Study his words. Study the word of God. Study what he wants you to be doing. Meditate on that. Think about that. Don't focus on making yourself perfect. That is impossible. Our human nature will not allow that. That is why Jesus came on the cross because we can't do it ourselves. So we have to rely on him and only him to transform us. Not a pastor, not a friend, not a bestie, but on the Holy Spirit himself. Verse five, those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. Whew. 
He, Paul says so much in, in verses 5 through 8. Remember the context of why he wrote the book of Romans. Um, there was a book, he a book, a church he established in the city of Rome. And that church was made up of Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews were circumcised, the Gentiles weren't. And the Jews were trying to get the Gentiles to become circumcised. So there was this rift in the church because, of course, the Gentiles are grown men. They don't want to do that to themselves. There was this riff in the church because the Jews were trying to tell the Gentiles you're not really saved unless you get circumcised. So Paul wrote this letter to the people in Rome to explain we don't have to live under the law, which is what circumcision is. Nobody can live under the law. Everybody made mistakes with the law. And when you're focusing on the law, you're not really living how God wants you to live. So stop trying to get the Gentiles to be circumcised. Circumcision has nothing to do with, with belief in Christ. Um, and this is what the Apostle Paul is writing to the people in the book of Rome or in the city of Rome. So when we're applying that to our own lives, if you will notice a lot of times there are these politicians or these really famous people, celebrities, who talk about being Christians, but their actions don't show it. They go to church, they um, have been baptized, <laughs> they observe um, all the religious holidays, they say the right things, but you'll notice in their actions that they're not really reflecting what we all believe a Christian would be. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And this is why that happens. What Paul is saying here, this is why that happens. Because people are focusing more on themselves and on following this law of what we believe Christianity is, the religious practice of Christianity. I have to go to church on Sundays. I have to take communion the first Sunday of the month. I have to make sure that I am attending church on Easter and on Christmas Eve. <laughs> These are like the rules of being a Christian, and because they're focusing on rules, they're not allowing the Holy Spirit to transform them. They're not focusing on what God is actually trying to do in their lives. And in doing so, they end up ignoring God, focusing on their own actions, trying to do things, quote unquote, according to the code, <laughs> according to the rules, and end up not being transformed at all. That's why they were able to be pastors back in the, if you girls know the history of America, that's why there were pastors, literal Christian pastors who were in charge of churches who were able to own slaves. Because they were focused on laws and rules. They weren't focused on actual transformation through being accepted by Christ. Because in that transformation of Christ, you can't help yourself but feel the love that Christ has for his kids. You can't help yourself but start to feel those Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit work through you, transforming you within. Yes, it is your own timing, your own process. Nobody can speed you up or slow you down. It has to be the Holy Spirit working on you. But if you're truly focusing on God, and not rules, that transformation naturally comes. All right, sis, thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Let's pause for a moment for today's sponsor. Verse nine, it said, Paul writes, but if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him and whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. 
when God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. Sisters of Christ, Paul is emphasizing to forgive yourselves, release the pain, release the past trauma, release the mistakes, and embrace what God is doing through you. He lives and breathes through you. He is bringing you back to life as surely as he did in Christ. Allow him in. Allow his spirit to dwell within you and transform you. Spend time with him. Spend time worshiping him, listening to his word, meditating on his scripture, worshiping him in spirit and truth. Through that, through focusing on God, you'll find the transformation that you seek. Stop trying to do it on your own. I have to stop trying to do it on my own. My human nature will not allow me to. It is by focusing on God that I am brought back to life. Verse 12, Paul writes, So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do. And places to go. Verse 15. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? Whew, that's so powerful. God's spirit touches our sorry, God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are: father and children. And we know we are going to get exactly what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns in it until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. So what Paul is saying there is that, sis, we all wait for that time when we are released into our perfect being, into our perfect self. But that only comes when we get to heaven with Christ. This current world that we live in, this is the world of sin. This is the world where Adam and Eve sinned. Sin entered the world, and every single one of us sin. That's the world we live in. So for us to expect ourselves to be these perfect creatures in a world of sin is impossible. We all eagerly wait for the time when we are in perfection. Yes, but that will come when we are in heaven with Christ. So forgive yourself. If you make a mistake, let it go. And here's what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. What, what Paul writes in verse 15, Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? That's what God wants from us. I made a mistake. Lord Jesus, forgive me. What's next, Lord? That's what he wants from us. Faith, trust in him, knowing that he's got everything planned out for our good every single minute of every single day. Nobody's perfect. Nobody gets it right every single time. But when we do get it wrong, we ask God for forgiveness and we move it on. We keep it moving, sis. Don't let the enemy have you dwelling on it, ashamed of it, imprisoned by it, held back by it. That's what he wants. But give yourself that forgiveness and move on. What Paul says here is the perfect thing for all of us to do. What's next, Papa? We go to the Lord and we say, forgive me. What do you want me to do next? 
That is how we keep moving towards the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself, sorry, we already read that. Verse 22, all around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pains. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pains. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us. Any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. Sisters of Christ, what Paul is saying there is that the more time you are with Christ, the more your joy grows, the more your expectancy of that life in heaven grows. So give yourself the time to develop that relationship with Christ. Don't think that right away you have to be perfect and get it all right. No, the longer that we wait, the larger we become. <laughs> Let yourself grow in that largeness with Christ every single minute of every single day. Allow yourself to spend that time with him, growing with him. Verse 26, meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right alongside us, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. And here is my favorite verse in the entire Bible, Romans 8:28. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Sisters of Christ, every detail in your life is worked for your good. Even when you are tired, even when you just suffered a failure, a defeat, a setback, and you don't know what to pray, continue trusting in God. Because what Paul is saying in verse 26 is that the Holy Spirit still prays for you. Even when you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what to ask God for on your behalf. And that's what he does. Everything works for your good. Because you love God, because you serve God, because you trust God, Everything works together for your good. This is why we're able to have that hopeful expectancy of what we're going to get when we get to heaven. We know that there's no mistake. There is nothing outside of what God's control. Every single part of our lives, where we live, where we come from, our background, our friendships, our personality, our skill sets, our intelligence level, our talents, everything about us was created to work together for his good in our lives. Everything. Nothing is a mistake, sister of Christ. So it's time to get back to the basics where we go to the Lord and we say, what's next, Papa? That is back to the basics. That is stepping into an anointing with Christ and fellowship with Christ. Verse 29, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up. He followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then, after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. Verse 31. So, what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? 
If God doesn't, didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying, threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in scripture, which says they kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or dynamic, Today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Woo! Sis, girl, Romans 8 is where it's at. <laughs> Romans 8 is where it's at. What Paul is telling you, what he's telling me, what he is telling the, the church in Rome, what he is telling every single Christian who deals with the duality of knowing the good they should do and not doing it and knowing the bad they shouldn't do and still doing it. He is telling each and every one of us that through the love of Christ, we are free. He is telling each and every one of us that through the love of Christ, we are able to reach our full fullness of joy for Christ. The fullness of joy. Joy, happiness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all the, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. We are able to achieve every single one of those things by doing one thing. Forgive ourselves for what we do wrong. Look towards the Holy Spirit and say, what's next, Papa? That is how you find your freedom in Christ. Trusting in God to take you every single step of the way. And if you don't yet know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And what that means is that believing in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior is what brings you eternal life. So if you want to make that decision today, you just say this prayer with me. And you say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again. Today, I believe in you as my personal Lord and Savior. Sister of Christ, if you said that prayer, welcome to the kingdom. Angels are literally celebrating you right now. Your name has been written in the book of life. Nobody can take it out. Get into a Bible-based church area and get started getting to know how much Jesus loves you. Oh, read the book of John first. It's literally like his love letter to you. And for my sisters on here who do know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, but you don't yet know what God wants you to do with your life, you don't yet know your God-given purpose, grab my free Find Your Purpose Toolkit that helps you discover exactly what God put you on this earth to do step-by-step by, step by going to PurposeGift.com. That's PurposeGift.com. Sisters of Christ, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and give you complete and total purpose over your body, mind, and soul in the name of Jesus and give you peace, mercy, and favor forever and ever. Amen. So that's it for today's episode of the Godwood Girl Live Your Purpose as a Christian Entrepreneur Bible Study. Have any questions? DM me anytime on Instagram or send an email to hello at godwoodgirl.com. I'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to grab my free Find Your Purpose Toolkit to help you get started living God's purpose for your life at purposegift.com. Thanks for listening, Godwood Girl. I'll see you on the next one.